Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Empire Life podcast, where we interview entrepreneurs from all around the world about their online empires, how they got to where they are, the challenges and ups and downs of entrepreneurship that they've been through. And today we have a special guest, Lauren Clayton. She is an integrative health practitioner and online health coach, and she intersects psychology and nutrition. And she also specializes in recovering from narcissistic personality disorder and the trauma and abuse that goes along with that. And we're going to be really diving deep into all of those today. And I'll hand it over to her to intro herself a little bit more. Thank you so much, Allison. Thank you for having me on the show. Um, yeah, so that's basically, um, I have a master's degree in psychology and I was just noticing how um, people's behavior is, a, is affected by the food that they eat. And then the food that they eat um, is kind of, or what am I trying to say? So yeah, some people's behavior is affected by the food that they eat, but also the kind of mood or whatever they're going through is the kind of food that they're also attracted to. So I had that going and then I was like, no, psychology affects every part of your life, your body, your health, your wealth, your relationships. And um, I recently did a video series on narcissism or not a video series. I did one video, but I'm going to do more about narcissistic personality disorder because it affects so many people. Not, I mean, it obviously affects the narcissist, but the person that is on the other side of that relationship, it really has a, a tremendous toll on your health for sure. Your career. Um, we were talking about that before we started recording when you're, um, in a relationship with a narcissist or, you know, you have a narcissistic parent, it's really hard, especially to be an entrepreneur. It's, you know, because they're constantly putting you down when you have to be really courageous and think outside the box as an entrepreneur. And so when you have a narcissistic person, it's very difficult and you're constantly questioning yourself even more than we already do as entrepreneurs. So yeah, I just, I felt really passionate about getting that message out there. Exactly. I love it. And can you go into some detail? If they were to say something that's putting you down, what are some methods that you utilize to handle that? And I'll definitely share some of mine too that I've learned over the, the years. Um, yeah. So uh, narcissistic people, they will put you down, um, like I mentioned in my video. So they carry all of this shame and we all have shame. We all have negative energy and things that, you know, uh, opportunities for growth within our personality and our psyche. However, they can't, their ego um, is so weak, they can't handle it. So they project all of their shame and all of their anger out. So they'll, it could be anything like one of my um, clients was just telling me that her narcissistic relationship, he, he was like, what's wrong with your stomach? You look bloated. Like she's in the middle of talking and he's just like, wait, wait, what's wrong with your, yeah, are you bloated or what's wrong? Like, and it just, completely like catches you off guard or it could be something bigger like your job is stupid and it'll never amount to anything and what are you doing but what, what, what you know so things like that that put you down and question every part of who you are and um some of the things you could do and it depends on where you are but my favorite is to just not say anything because they conjure up this huge reaction in you that wants to defend yourself and, and that's you taking on that narcissistic person's shame or guilt that they have. It's not even about you. So if you could just have the mental and emotional discipline to walk away, and then they'll know, and they'll be like, oh, I'm sorry. They'll, they'll do something like that. They'll, they'll recalibrate before they do it again. Um, and then another thing is you could just say, 
I'm sorry you have that experience. That's not how I feel. And they'll keep challenging. You can just be like, that's not how I feel. So, okay. I'm glad you think that that's not what I think. And just really holding strong to that boundary, but not not colluding and fighting back with them is the most important. Mm, I completely agree. And like not answering, oh, well, I think this, and then it starts to be this huge debate and long drawn out heated conversation and I understand they also draw on the negative emotion they're getting a high from the control they perceive to have over you which is really hard especially for empaths or really supportive people to contemplate and even start to understand because it's you feel why would anybody feel like that why would anybody feel happy when they are getting an emotional response from me rather negative or positive and they think from an outsider point of view, oh, look at this control I have over this person. Oh, look how I can get them upset. Oh, this is interesting. This is fun. I'm enjoying this. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. so two things with them is that, you know, like every emotion, anger is a biochemical response that happens in your brain and it sends different neurotransmitters like, like throughout your body. And um, there is a, a chemical like loop, like addiction loop that happens with narcissistic people. And it's the one emotion that they're very comfortable expressing all the time. And it, they do have this like pent up rage and anger that never, you know, it's this like black hole of rage and anger. So that, um, that anger addiction is really a central part of any relationship dynamic you're going to have with them and getting receiving beyond the other end of that anger and intuitive empathic uh codependent any, like any type of like caring type of person they um they draw on and and codependent or empathic people kind of connect with them sometimes too because they get their value from being um from caring for people and um and to to a a, a malignant extent sometimes it's, it's good to be empathic and it's good to be caring and nurturing but it, when you place all of your value on that then you're going to attract a narcissist who will just feed off of that and take all of that caring energy and then tell you you're not caring enough or you're not enough of everything and um and then so you keep trying to prove how caring and amazing and trustworthy and supportive and everything you are and they just it's like a black hole that you know and then you get to a point where it's like it's never going to be enough you have that feeling like it's never going to be enough that's so true a personal story i have on that or oh, a relationship i was in i cooked the most i've ever cooked most likely in my life and it was never good enough. He always said something of, well, you could have also added this. <laughs> Not like he was putting it down. He was loving it, enjoying it, and saying, this is really great. Yet, there was always a side comment, a critique, a criticism. And after the relationship ended, we continued to be friends and support each other, luckily. At some point, it couldn't be like that anymore because he wanted to get together again and I needed to end it to allow space for an, another man to come in the picture in a more healthier way. And he finally told me one day, I said, I thought you never liked my cooking. And he's like, no, I always told you that. So you would improve. I always loved your cooking and it's perfect and it's the best ever. And I miss it every day though. I said that to you to help you be better. Oh, right, because everything they do is to help you because you don't <laughs> And I actually never did anything wrong. You either 
um, not perceiving that correctly or that didn't happen, you're crazy. And you're, you know, it's just, they always have this justification for their behavior or they'll just pretend it like it didn't happen. And they're, and what's hard about it is because they pull you in at first, you know, you put up with assholes like this because they're, they're so charming at first. They could look at someone and be like, okay, this is what they want. And I know how to come or whatever it is. And so they pull you in. They're really good at that part. And then, so you start to ignore little things like those, that little undercurrent of like insults and like, just say freaking thank you. Like making a meal for someone is just an expression of love, you know, and it's an expression, like a, a subconscious expression of like, I want to take care of you. I want you to feel nurtured. And we all want to feel nurtured on an emotional, psychological, and of course, like physical, but you know what I mean? That's what that's about. And it's not about this needs more salt. And so this needs more salt is about insulting you and telling you it's not quite good enough and just making you, you know, so you have that thirst to keep wanting to make something better. Um, so, yeah, so that's, that's a very common thing. And then it's so, it, it's seemingly so benign. It's like, what? I just, I was just, you know, I'm just trying to be helpful. Yes. Like, I want to see you be better. I want to see you be a professional chef, not just, okay. <laughs> It's good to be able to laugh about it, though. It, it is. It, I was happy that he clarified that for me later because the whole relationship, I felt that I wasn't quite good en a good enough cook yeah. and was doubting myself. And then that bleeds into other areas of doubting yourself. It does. It does. And that is the one of the big tactics of um, narcissism. And, you know, it's you can see it in in any relationship that you have. I do think, you know, we're talking about this before too, when you have a narcissistic primary caretaker, which is typically your parent, it's hard sometimes too. So you have that dynamic of, I just want my mom or dad to be proud of me and they're never proud of me. And they're always, you know, um, treating me differently than they treat. Like they give you advice one way or say, oh, you could be doing better in all these areas of your life, but then someone else they treat completely. And you're like, what the? even within like sibling dynamics, it's like two people are treated completely different. So, um, and it could be really confusing and it could just really wear on your self-esteem. It's true, and, and they can often talk about, well, in my family sometimes even talk about a sibling to you and say, can you believe they're doing this? And you realize, oh, they're probably talking about me too. <laughs> they're siblings, and maybe she could do this without actually telling me, and then they make the triangulation between people and or something I learned too is they're always preparing for a smear campaign. Oh, yeah. So you realize maybe later that they were separating you from people in your own family, your friends or their family in order to later be like, you see, she was the one, she just couldn't quite do X, Y, Z good enough. And I just needed to cut it. Even if you were the one that discarded them. Yeah. they'll say, I, I just needed to cut that loose. They're always the one that broke up with you. They always ended it. And then I've also had the experience where later on, if I was really successful and I become friends again, or like the relationship I was telling you about, he said, oh, I walked into the office the other day and I told everybody, yeah, she got, she started a podcast because I gave her that idea one day, which we never talked about a podcast or that idea. 
they always need to take that success. And on, on the other side of it, I feel like having no emotional reaction to those is, for me, has been the most successful. You're like, oh, that's, that's interesting. That's interesting. You remember it that way. <laughs> that never happened. <laughs> I'm going to own my experience and you could own whatever warped, you know, reality you want to maintain. But yeah, no, that's really, you know, true. And if, I think it starts with like fake it till you make it. Just like, mm, I'm not going to give in. I'm not going to give this narcissist any emotional you know, reaction because that's exactly what they're wanting. And you're right about the triangulation and creating a bunch of drama because they thrive off of the chaos. It actually does make them feel at peace because there's so much chaos and shame and anger. So if they could project it onto one person, but a situation, a dynamic that they could set up, they're like, oh, they love it actually. So, and that's why they do it to just feel some relief and even pleasure. Um, and then, yeah, with the whole, every, everything, everything good is like their idea and everything bad is your fault. So exactly. And with the triangulation, it becomes so tricky from some of my experiences to even understand what's happening because it can seem so much under the rug or undercurrent. For example, something that I experienced was one of my relationships, him always asking me, isn't my sister just so gorgeous? While I was wanting affirmation from him about my own beauty, and I needed to hear that, like we all do, like all women want to hear how beautiful they are inside and out, and be told affirmations and compliments on a daily basis. We need that to grow. We're growing. We need that to, you know, get watered in a sense or grow and flourish. And saying that would, it was almost like, putting me against his sister, but in a really undercurrent kind of way that I didn't even really see until I reflected on it. And to the point where he would ask me maybe five times, oh, I saw all these other guys looking at my sister. She's so gorgeous, right? She's so gorgeous, right? And I will have no response because I didn't know what to respond. <laughs> I will be silent until he was like, oh, I think you're jealous because you're not responding. You're so jealous of her, right? Oh, because she's so gorgeous and everybody was looking at her. And uh, like, I really don't know what to say. Yeah, she's really beautiful. I already said that before or the first time that you said something. And it continues to go on until you start to realize, oh, this is somewhat undercutting to me. Yeah. If you were to tell someone else that, you may think that you're crazy because it doesn't seem like that on the surface. Yeah. <laughs> They're, they are very jealous people they, and they're very, they're not trustworthy people because, um, or they'll, they'll make you feel, they'll project, they project every, every negative emotion they project onto you that they're feeling. So they're, they're jealous. They're very envious and jealous and jealous. And, um, because they think so lowly of themselves, they're not like loyal people. They, they cheat. They can't be in a, monogamous intimate relationship because that requires too much vulnerability and it's like well what if they get hurt so I'm two steps ahead of you and I'm gonna hurt you or I'm gonna break up with you first and it's like okay break up with me then or you know at some point it's just kind of like you have to be like that or it's like no I'm not jealous um yeah and I think that you responded correctly it's kind of like this is weird um <laughs> yeah yeah what um this is like borderline really yeah. weird <laughs> yeah. 
I really don't know why, like, I don't go on and on about how hot I think my brother is. That would sound kind of weird. <laughs> so, and it, it, like, I, I was listening to an example in another video of how a lady's mother-in-law would always make a triangulation with the two sister-in-laws. And like, oh, she's such a great cook. Don't you think she's a great cook? Don't you think she's such a great cook? And keep going on and on about the other sister-in-law. And then she thought, oh, she must like her more. And then one day she asked the sister-in-law, oh, my gosh, it seems like she really loves you. And she said, oh, no, she goes on and on about you every time we talk. And she said, oh, my God, it's huge revelation mm -hmm. that she was doing that to both of them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that provides some relief when you realize that they're, they just, it's not, you're, in a way, you're not special. They just kind of wear on everyone's insecurities or try to ignite some kind of negative spark in you so um in a way it's just kind of like it's really all about them and it's not something i say lightly you know because i'm very into you know take responsibility for yourself and always try to improve yourself but there is a sharp distinction between doing that and always growing and evolving and realizing when someone's when someone just has pathology like narcissism that is not you and, um, you know, when I made that video, that was the most important part of the video for me to, is like the end when I go, what did you learn from this? Because one, you don't want to repeat the same mistake. You do not want to go through that hell again because it's hard. And, um, but it, even in a healthy relationship, it was like, what is the lesson that I learned? What did I learn about myself? How did I grow? What did I, what do I realize I want, need and deserve in the next relationship? Um, but with narcissistic people, I mean, you better get out a journal and start writing because a lot of stuff comes up. They bring up a lot of stuff and a, and a, a lot of it goes right back to childhood. Um, a lot of times, um, and they'll bring up childhood. They're, they're actually, um, I heard someone say once they're, they're like kind of like angels in a way because they, um, they can bring up all this unhealed stuff, like right to the surface. And if you're a healthy person, you could be like, okay yeah, let me deal with this. And so I don't carry this into the next relationship because something in me that needed to be healed attracted this narcissistic person into my life. And so, um, and I, you know, every, I've had a few, I was telling you I have a PhD in narcissistic <laughs> and everyone I, you know, but there was a lot of healing that went on. And, it, and I eventually, after I stopped being angry and like, in victim mode and like how could I allow myself to be treated that way I um, after I got through that phase which is like a phase of healing um, I was able to empower myself more and not make those mistakes again and um, so it's always led to a lot of good stuff eventually but you have to allow it to and you have to you know get ready to just kind of like dig deep and dig into um, what went wrong in the relationship and again taking responsibility for your part and it we, you know we all need to do that and it's really hard sometimes to do that it's like ugh, I, I get to forgive myself for whatever happened in that relationship it's really true something that was coming up for me I had my previous relationship he said one time why would I even trust your point of view? I don't remember what it was about. Why would I even trust your point of view? You're a person that doesn't even talk to her family every day. And it was, I realized that it was a, somewhat of a wound that for a long time, 
I no longer have this for a long time. I used to have some resentment for my family not being one of those families that talks to each other every day. And his family was like that. And I am really thankful now at this point that I was raised in a way where we're all really independent Mm -hmm. and we don't have the need. We may text once or twice a day, but we don't need to have a phone call every day, text each other 20 to 40 times a day. And his family was doing that on a group chat. And he thought that because his family did that, then everybody's family needed to do that. And when he brought that up, I said, well, that's not how my family is. And that's okay. Good. Uh, in the past, that will have been really emotional for me. And that was a wound. And I realized with him reflecting that maybe there's still something a little bit there that could cause some shame mm-hmm. of, oh, my, maybe my family is not as close knit as I think they should be. Mm-hmm. And I, there was really nothing that necessarily came up. Yeah. To cause shame because I had already gone through that kind of healing process and my there's nothing that we can change about our family members. All we can do is receive the love and support that they are providing and give ourselves the the extra love and support that we need or figure out ways to give ourselves the self-care and self-love that we need more than that. Absolutely. I you know um, and I know this from being, you know, yeah. a, um, like a, not a psychologist, but a coach and having a master's degree in psychology, but it's hit me hard, not harder. It's just resonated more with me that adulthood is about reparenting yourself. You know, mm. it's like we go through a phase where it's like, I, I wish my family was like this and I resent them. And then I act out old traumas in new relationships and get upset and you, you have the victim phase and all that. and then you step back and it's good to have a space between relationships and situationships and just whatever. And to be by yourself and be like, okay, what have I learned? And how can I parent myself better? Like what, you know, inner child thing is missing that I didn't get that I was trying to extract from this situation, even if it's a work situation, you know, people have enough work drama, but even in a typical, and this, I mean, entrepreneurs you could still do this as entrepreneurs but people that work in offices also they, a lot of parent and family dynamics get replayed out in any type of group setting and so at work since you spend typically eight hours a day within that happens a lot um so but um i'm really into that it's kind of like how can i reparent myself how can i take care of myself how can i give myself what i didn't need at an earlier phase in life that's still wanting nurturing in that way so I completely agree the other day one of my girlfriends was sharing with me we were at a networking event and this guy started talking to us I immediately felt like oh kind of a weird vibe (laughs) and I stopped talking to him at some point I was talking to some other people and then later she came to me she was talking to other people too and she let this guy buy her drink and later she came to me and she said, oh, you know how sometimes when somebody's talking to you, you talk to them just to be nice because they seem like they want to talk to you. And I took a second to answer and I was like, no, I I don't really feel like I I do that anymore. Maybe I did in the past. And it's like, I think that's nice that you let him buy you a drink though. If you didn't want a drink from him, 
because she said I thought he was sketchy or weird or I got a bad vibe, but you know, I'm so used to people pleasing because she had some narcissism in her family too and not saying anything, just kind of going with the flow and not rocking the boat because that's what they want. And she was enacting that same pattern and we had the opportunity right then to dive deeper into that of there's no need that you had to let him do anything or buy you a drink. You can say no. He may be upset temporarily. That's okay. You can walk away. But a lot of us find ourselves in those kind of situations and we're unaware of what's happening or what's playing out. And we do often need a coach to bounce those ideas off of or a good friend. Yeah, absolutely. And I thought that's a great situation of how you were able to reflect that back to her in the moment from someone that's, you know, close and cares about her because, you know, the subconscious fear that the um, codependent or um, empathic person has from from everyone, but especially a narcissist that I'm going to get rejected. There's an abandonment, there's an unconscious or subconscious, subconscious abandonment, fear of abandonment. So if it comes in the form of straight up rejection, or like uh, they get, they're, them getting mad at you or something. Those are all like abandonment triggers. And so, um, but knowing that you can stand your ground and have your boundaries and stay in your power and still be loved, um, I think is the big lesson. It's kind of like, especially with narcissistic people, they like, they, like you have to like kind of diminish yourself and step out of who you are so much to be loved or, you know, to get any type of validation from them that sometimes you're kind of like, you lose, you're like, who have I become, you know, or I've had even friends. I'm like, I don't even know who you are right now. And it's because of that fear of abandonment. You just step out of yourself. So that's why I'm always kind of like, stay in your power, stay in your boundaries. And, uh, and then actually when you do that, not only will the narcissist stay around, not that you want them to, but you know, um, because they'll see it as a challenge, but you attract better people into your life when you stay in your power and in your authenticity. I'm just so, I'm really into that with, with everything I do now, but especially doing more stuff for you, Tim, I just wanted to be as authentic as possible, which has been, I don't know, when I do YouTube, I was like, in the past, I'm like, I'm supposed to act like this, and I guess I wear a button-up shirt, and um, I have to remember to not cuss, which is hard for me sometimes, so. And it's I'm just possible like, for me. <laughs> So I was like, you know what? I have, I have something I just, I, I want to, I want to help people. Um, there's things I want to talk about that I find meaningful and healing. And, you know, if I, if you are offended by me cussing, then fucking don't watch. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, you know, so, um, yeah. So just really, um, I think that's another big lesson is like staying true to who you are during the whole process, but especially when you're healing from narcissistic abuse. Yes. Do you find that's a way to repel narcissism narcissism in the future? Is that sexually is a good is a good example. I know a lot of my friends have heard stories where they say one thing or I want a committed relationship, for example, I'm not going to sleep with the guy and then they become convinced and they may do something out of their integrity and that's not really what they want. And it's 
that is a way to go into narcissistic abuse somewhat because that is what they're looking for, someone that they can kind of bend your integrity, bend your boundaries, see, oh, like consistently testing you of how flexible your boundaries are. And for me, that's been a huge repellent of toxic people in a sense that when I take the time to come back into myself and be self-aware, these are my intentions in this moment. This is what I want out of this. For example, one of my intentions is I would only live with a guy if I was engaged to be married. And that was that was a hard boundary for me in my previous relationship that he didn't quite agree with. And thank God I stayed in my intention because most likely we would be living together at this point and it would have eventually ended anyways. And I saved myself that pain. Yes. Moving costs and the pain and needing to, it felt good for me. And no matter how many times he asked me to explain myself, I always was very clear and strong in my power and my intention. And I I wonder, how do you communicate that? Or do you feel there's other ways as well to repel toxic people? That, for me, has been really powerful. And if this person is not going to respect this or continue to badger me, then that's it. That There's nothing else at some point. I, I can't explain anymore. This is the hard, this is a hard line. And you can stay and respect me or you can leave. And I'll open the door for you. And, and part of that is having the belief, like changing your belief system. So instead of thinking that, because you move your boundaries around um, because you're afraid of abandonment, like I was saying earlier. And then the new belief system gets to be like, I am amazing just the way I am. My boundaries um, and whatever other are there for a reason. And I want them to be respected, you know? Um, And yeah, everyone should be flexible and willing to evolve or something. But when you have a hard boundary around things like moving in, sex or things like that, those are just your boundaries and they get to remain that way and you are worth it. And if, if you don't respect my boundaries, peace, like it's a, like, you know, that's just, you know, and I, and I believe like, you know, um, like I have a very close relationship with the universe or whatever you want to call your higher power. I just say universe. And it's kind of like, I can stand in my boundaries. And if, if this person doesn't respect it, then the universe is just teaching me a lesson and someone better will come along. If it's a friend or, um, even a client that, you know, sometimes I have clients trying to like bend all type of like, like when I'm doing an initial consult with them and I'm like, no, these are, this is my business. And these are, this is how I, and it's very basic. Like I do FaceTime sessions and then I just, you know, text throughout the week, but they're like, always try. And I'm just like, nope, not dealing with you. Or, or, you know, I'll just be like, you know, and then they'll just typically go away. But yeah, if you stand strong in your boundaries, then the underlying intention, just in case you, if you're listening and you're don't know, the underlying intention of having boundaries pushed is for you to um, for you to feel shame because they feel a lot of shame. So they do something and then they'll call you out. They'll use it against you and you'd be like, oh, remember how you said this, but you did this? They, they're just storing, you know, 
I don't know, ammo, ammo for you. Like, so um, it's never really about like, oh, you're being, uh, why don't you just, you know, you're being so inflexible or whatever name calling they're doing. They're doing it to, you know, to hold it against you, whatever it is. And for that guy, if you say you'd had the opposite situation and you wanted to, you were like really wanting to move in, he'd be like, no, and giving you all types of reasons why, you know, it doesn't even matter the situation. They just want the opposite or to, you know, break out of it. So. Exactly. Exactly. And it, it, it was utilized. Like it was brought up. Well, you're, you're this great woman and you have these good morals and intentions, but look at your friend. She did that. She didn't do what, do that intention. Like she's not me. Like my friends and I can have different intentions. And at some point I needed to say, well, who do you want me to hang out with? Like I can find fault. We can find fault with every one of my girlfriends that they are still my good girlfriends. And I will continue the support system. They want to break down your support system. Yeah. They don't want you to have a support system and they will find flaws with everyone. I mean, one relationship I had, he didn't even meet that many people in my life, but, um, my friend, he was just going on. I'm like, you don't even know her. You met her once and just made like conflate, confabulated this whole story. And he's, oh, she's off. And I'm like, that's not, that even happened in real life. And then he um, met my parents and was saying like all these things. And like, that, like, I mean, he thought in his mind, he was like, oh, they must want to meet me because I'm amazing. And like, no, like my dad's just like, who is this fucker? And, you know, <laughs> and, you know, and then, they're like, oh, what did he, th- and my, no one liked him, no one, and they were all, he's like, oh, so I'm, what did everyone think, and I'm like, you don't want to know, I'm thinking to myself, let's, next subject, but, um, you know, they, if, if, if you have any type of support system, or people that reflect back to you how amazing you are, they don't want you contacting those people, those people are stupid, they don't know what they're talking about, and I'm the only, like, real authority on anything that has to do with you type of vibe um so it's a lot it's a lot to take in it's a lot to handle um you know especially if you have someone that's like a family that you can't just completely cut off you know if it's a work a co-worker that you have to deal with directly that can be really hard if it's a family member or especially if it's a parent you know those those relationships are hard because you're constantly there's an opportunity to constantly re-traumatize yourself if you allow it but there's also a profound opportunity to heal and, um, you know, fortify the good parts of yourself that are, you know, trying to emerge. That's true. That's true. I, that reminded me of a story. My very first live event that I hosted for Empire Life was extremely stressful and took a lot of time to plan. And now we've done over a dozen events. So every one of them is easier. <laughs> My mom came to the event unexpectedly. And she said, I want to help or I want to entertain um, my daughter who was supposed to be taking pictures at the event. And then no pictures got taken because I wanted to involve her in the event. She therefore now wasn't involved and I wasn't going to take the time out to talk to my mom about what to do with my daughter in that time. So they were playing a game. And then one of my sponsors was there and my mom brought up something that I said in high school to the sponsor that I had said, Oh, I'm never going to be in it. 
and <laughs> she was kind of like, uh, well, I, she is now, you know, she's in tech now, she's a developer, and she's like, yeah, we're just all so surprised, because she said that in high school. <laughs> Where did that even come from? And luckily, I had no, I didn't really have any reaction besides looking at my sponsor like, um, I don't really know, bewildered in a sense. And she looked at me in the same way and then was really supportive in her words towards my mom. And then that allowed my mom the space to be like, oh, kind of take a step back and be like, oh, yeah, I, oh, she's proud of her. Oh, yeah, me too. Me too. We're really proud of her. I'm so proud of her. But that wasn't her first reaction. And then I had a conversation with my mom later. I really appreciated your intention of wanting to come and, and help. And I would really like it if you didn't come to future events because it's a little bit of a distraction for me to to want to make sure you're okay in the event and what's going on. And she also had her back towards everybody and wasn't really in inclusive in it or introducing herself to everybody so I felt a little worried and it somewhat sidetracked me distracted me from giving my presentation or speaking and she goes oh don't worry I didn't enjoy it anyway I won't ever be coming to another one I said, okay cool yeah so they can't <laughs> handle any form of rejection at all so then it's like oh well it, it was dumb anyway and that's a very typical reaction and I, you know, I hope you didn't take that in in any type of... I didn't. I was like, well, great. We're on the same page. Good. I, I'm really happy we're on the same page. And she's like, good, because, yeah, don't worry. Uh, she, she continued <laughs> to say things to kind of ignite a reaction. And, like, again, I'm happy we're on the same page. And I'm really happy that you experienced it. You were there for, for me and my daughter, like acknowledging her a lot through the situation. And this is about me and my intention. And I want to be fully focused on the people there and not sidetracked or distracted by that. And I'm, I'm so happy that you understand. She's like, oh, yeah, I understand. Oh, yeah, <laughs> of course. <laughs> I'm so happy you get like the presumptive, uh, I'm so happy we're on the same page type of thing. And then... Yep. Yeah. It's, and it never came up again. I'm like, wow. Okay. I can breathe. <laughs> that was a few years ago. But right before that, when I came home, I cried for two hours. Even though I had a really successful event, I cried. I grieved. Why was my mom unable to support me in a way that I really would have hoped or liked you know, in that moment? And I forgave and I let go that maybe she also didn't have that support growing up and things that she went through. I came at it from compassion. I talked to a few friends about it, like hysterically crying. <laughs> I could barely talk because going through that process allowed me to be able to forgive and feeling it, having all those feels. That is such a huge and profound opportunity that you have from these type of relationships, especially if you have a narcissistic parent because you have to forgive and you take on, like as the child, you take on their shame or whatever and it hurts, it, it hurts a lot. But that grief, that being able to feel that grief and let it go and, and grieving is such a healing process. You don't wanna get stuck in it 
and become like a victim. But if you allow yourself to just grieve and let it go, and the forgiveness is the let it go part. And truly, which is like, there's layers of forgiveness, you know, if you really do it right. Oh, yeah. You know, you you release so much. I've had clients like lose a bunch of weight they've been they try to lose just from forgiving themselves on all these different levels. It's such a, an intense and good experience. So it's awesome that you were able to do that. Thank you. I needed to forgive myself also on what other people at the event might have thought. Mm. And I was somewhat embarrassed and felt shame of why did my mom not act in this way and also letting go of all of that. Most likely people didn't even think twice about it, you know, <laughs> after the event, but that was something I needed to internally forgive myself for. And I wanted to ask you or two more things before we, we wrap up. I wanted to ask you, so one question, if you have a friend who's going through this or a loved one, I wanted to know because I've had friends in this situation and myself and how my friends handled it. What would you say is the best way to handle it? And then the second question is how can people contact you to work with you after that? Because we may be going through it ourselves, but it's really different when we see all the pain and we see our, one of our best friends who sometimes are our loved one. Sometimes we even, put their needs or we want the best for them even more than we do ourselves a lot of times as women and being support a supportive friend and you see your friend like you said diminishing withdrawing into herself and you don't even recognize her anymore do you withdraw also and like let her kind of go through her things or like what, what would you say is the best way to yeah, so that's, that's that. a really good question. You could do a whole like series on that. But <laughs> you, want to, you want to be supportive without colluding and being part of like anything that gets triangulated or being a codependent pawn in that thing. So you say, I'm here. These are my boundaries. So I just had a situation with a friend like this where she's going back and forth with this narcissist. I'm never talking to him again. <laughs> and then like a week later, it's like, oh, for, you know, they draw you back in. And then, so I, you know, kind of rescued her from a situation. She was like drinking and it was it, late. So I just went and got her. And then, um, and then, and then I woke up when she woke up in the morning, I was like, I'm not doing that for you ever again. This is the, you know, and that was the first and last time I did that, but I just, I did it on purpose. And I was like, this is never happening. Um, you can do whatever you want. It's your choice to be with whomever you want. If you want to be in this abusive relationship, okay, I'm not gonna do anything to support it. From going to have lunch with you guys to rescuing you from a situation. And that's my boundary. And she was like, okay. And so, um, and that makes our relationship good. Like I'll still be there and I'll still be supportive and I'll still talk to her, but I'm just not going to support this the dynamic or rescue her from it. Those are my, but I still love you and be your friend and everything else. And I think that that's a good place to be. Um, you know, it's just kind of like a good neutral ground to be in when you when you have to watch your friend go through certain things, and you know, resist the temptation to you know try to rescue. Um, and then um, the other thing is, oh well, I'm um, I'm on Instagram. A lot of my clients, like that, I initially end up working with, they DM me. My uh, my handle is Lauren Clayton underscore Total Health. And um, it's the same with my Facebook page, Lauren Clayton underscore Total Health. And my email is Lauren Clayton Total Health at Gmail. So, perfect. Kind of, yeah.
Nice. Well, we definitely need to do a Facebook Live or more on this topic because we just <laughs> with it. But thank you so much. Oh, for yeah, thank you too. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Lauren. <laughs>